Hello, Sky friends, and welcome to Seasons of Skyrend, Book 3. We're a custom 5e D&D adventure that focuses on the stories of our characters as they explore their impact on the world and how the world responds in turn. I am your host and DM, Scott, and you can find me on Twitter at TheScottBlake. Hi, I'm Chris. I play Iolana Makani, the Air Genasi Mystic, and you can find me at Killer on Twitter. Hi, my name is Nate. I play Darwin Grimm, the Human Monk, and you can find me at Skyren underscore Nate on Twitter. Hi, I'm Shannon. I play Aranis Gray, also known as Gray the Great to my fans, and the Bard of the Bard's Rebellion. I am a half-elf bard, and you can find me at Skyren underscore Shannon on Twitter. And you can find the show on Twitter at Skyren Podcast. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Head on over to find out about bonus chapters, early access, NPC creation, and more. Now then, thank you for joining us, and please enjoy this chapter in Seasons of Skyrend. The shortcut through Honey Hollow has been largely pleasant. Good music and drinks at Sweet Williams, friendly faces, and helpful gods. Liana sustains those afflicted with the withering, while she and Gosram search for a permanent solution. Gosram may be acting more out of a sense of selfish self-preservation, but now is hardly the time to be picky about allies. Darwin, along with the rest of the party, refused to take the egg he offered in a further attempt at survival. Even so, he still transformed your new horses into winged creatures, as previously agreed. Before you had a chance to leave, Honey Hollow came under attack from above the snow. Vale and Iolana, shirking their assigned responsibilities, joined Darwin and Aranis on a scouting trip to the surface to assess the situation. That trip is cut short when the snow and stairs above disintegrate, revealing the conscription forces above. (laughs) From your spot at the bottom of this fresh crater, you can spot a handful of ground forces, two massive birds, one wreathed in lightning and the other in crackling darkness, and their leader, Cregan. The celestial sits astride, a large coatl in the sky. His wings spread out in a show of power as he demands all of the afflicted be surrendered at once, or the entire city shall be destroyed. What do you do? Is there any sign that if they continue this attack from above, the city is going to crumble? Like they could just lay siege over the next two days and kill everyone, or are they going to have to come down if we don't go up? Um, thanks to the to the bird that is wreathed in the darkness and the crackling light within deleting this snow basically like just causing massive craters to appear when it flaps its wings not at every flap but you know it's a concentrated attack it is doing this on purpose eventually yeah they will just be able to remove the roof off the city and pick everybody off there's no good way to fight this fight though. no but your idea is still a good one it would definitely take time it's not like the whole city will be uncovered in the matter of minutes or even hours but they could sit up there for the next three days bombard us and never have to come down oh yeah absolutely so there's no reason for them to even come down 
Mm. It's not like we can draw them down. Is that's that's really the question? It's not like we can draw them down from where they are. Well, Cregan has said that. You may remember from last time, Cregan said, "If you send up everybody who's afflicted, so we can wipe out those people with the withering, they would leave everybody else alone. <laughs> Their intent is not to destroy a city; it is to bring Corm's peace to mm. those suffering." But yeah, they are not. They're not drawing soft lines in the snow here. These are hard lines for them. I'm just trying to understand at this point, do we believe they're going to be coming into the city or are they going to sit up? Um, I feel like we'd have to ask. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, that's that's more up to the city officials. They they have fought them off before. Not this same group, but they've pushed back members of the conscription before. So who knows? But while you're gathering your intel, that while you're gathering your intel, they are doing the same. Commander Thorne and her troops are also gathering intel in order to assess the situation and decide what needs to be done here. Would it be helpful if I dealt with her? With Commander Thorne? No, I don't. I like. I don't mean like deal with her, like take her out. That's not what I mean. I just mean like, like be the one that kind of coordinates efforts. If you want, I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out. Like, we had a really good like plan and strategy, but yeah, now that's but it kind of it's not going to work. Yeah, it's kind of out the window now. <laughs> It's a Is it because they're flying? No. Well, I didn't realize they had enough power to literally just bombard us and kill us all. I thought they were going to have to come into the caves, and that would be our opportunity to essentially 300 <laughs> them. To yeah. like take up a strategic position and just fight a war of attrition. But that's not going to work, because eventually we're all just fucking dead. So the question is, do we die in three days fighting a useless war, or do we die in three turns fighting a creature we can't kill? We don't know we can. There's two of them, plus a coodal. Well, well, the other one is not the same. It is only, uh, the other one is, is more lightning than darkness. It is not out there deleting snow. There's only one of them out there doing this terrible thing to the terrain. We have no strategic advantage if we go up there. If we go up there, we're sitting ducks. Between the ground forces and the air forces, we're bone. Well, the, the ground forces were going around to the front of the city. Right? To the main uh, gate? Yeah. They were going over to the outpost so they can come down through that method. Well, yeah. I mean, we can always go deal with the ground forces first. I just feel like every time I get an idea... Well, I mean, I'd say at this point, we can still we can still do the first part of your strategy, which is to abandon this post, because I'm not fucking going up into that crater. And, <laughs> um... <laughs> Like and go back out to the front door because at least there we can fight the ground forces on our own terms. Theoretically, if we're still inside without having to fight the things in the air too. Okay, fuck it. This is what we do then. I look at the veil, looks at the entire team, and says, "We need to go find the captain." Okay. All right. So you're going Vail's looking for only... Commander Thorn. Yes. Yeah. Veil's uh, the only tactician at this point among us. So what they uh, say goes. <laughs> okay. You head back down. Commander Thorne, let's see. She will be, she's going to be near the base of the outpost. It's not heading up yet, but scouts are definitely up there, like assessing the situation. She is down there near the base of it, trying to coordinate efforts when you find her. She's, okay, make sure the citizens are safe in the gardens. You know, get everybody out of the stores, out of the shops, out of their homes. Everybody hunker down. Make sure they're protected. The scouts are still out. They're still assessing the situation. They're trying to get a count on like numbers, strength of forces, and everything while she's coordinating these efforts. Okay. Vale's going to walk right up to her 
not caring mm-hmm. who she's talking to or what she's saying and say directly to her, you have only one way to survive this onslaught. And that is to do exactly what I tell you right now. You are going to pull all of your soldiers into as many possible choke points as you can. You're going to have any conscripted civilians and citizens cut off every other entrance, cave in every possible pathway that are not the ones you want these people to come through. And then you're going to use that strategic advantage to thin their ranks as much as possible. If you don't do this, everyone in your town will die. Mm, Powerful, forceful. I like it. What does Commander Thorne say to this? She hasn't heard back from her scouts just yet. So she's going to say, that sounds a bit extreme to be caving in tunnels already. We've pushed them back before. We may be able to do so again without irreparably damaging our city. Do you want to push them back or do you want to prevent them from ever returning? Pushing them back is not going to prevent them from coming back. You are going to have to take drastic measures to win this war. All right. I want you to roll something here. I think my default is going to be persuasion, but if there's... Not not intimidation? I mean, that's what I was going to say. Like, if there's a different thing that you want to use, like intimidation (laughs) or anything like that, let me know. doesn't matter. My bonus is two no matter what. So let's go with persuasion. All right. Does anybody want to help Vale out before they roll? Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I do. I I was going to just, like, add, because Thorn's still inside, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's was, coordinating efforts. She's. I was just gonna. I was just gonna add. Plus, have you seen that thing out there that's just you know deleting snow and objects? I don't think you've seen that before. <laughs> uh, you're right. She has not. <laughs> that creature was not around last time. So Vale, go ahead and roll with advantage. Thank God. Oh, it helps dramatically. That's a dirty twenty. Yay! Ooh. I'm glad I helped. <laughs> What was the other one, if I can ask? Four. Ooh. Ooh. Woof. Hey, you're <laughs> fucked. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, obviously we would love to never have to deal with these people again. Perhaps it is time for more drastic measures. Hmm. Uh, and as she says this, the scout comes back down, starts filling her in like, yeah, Crazy ass birds, flying dude on the back of the quaddle, and they see the redundancy of a celestial riding a the redundancy of a celestial riding a flying mountain is beyond me. You know their wings get tired too, but also it just makes them more badass. More douchey is really on it. However you want to cut it, you know. Um. Yeah, their scout comes down and says like, there are about half a dozen people up near the entrance organizing themselves to come in, it looks like. There are those creatures up in the sky. They can't be certain if there's anyone else. Visibility drops down drastically. Even though they do have some amount of dark vision, they still can't see past a certain distance. And they say, they agree, like, yeah, this looks bad. So sure, let's go in and start, um, let's go along with Vale's plan here of... Reducing the amount of travel ways, cutting off certain hallways, certain uh, paths, collapsing some tunnels in. Hmm. Commander Thorne issues some new orders to her scouts to go and tell, uh, tell people about this new plan. It's not something I really wanted to do. Not looking forward to the cleanup afterwards. 
But uh, yeah, if things are as bad as they appear to be out there, <sighs> might just be necessary. If they've got those creatures up in the sky, that might be a concern. We will need some way to draw them in. We will need to give them a response. Otherwise, they will start attacking with uh, a bit more effort. <sighs> Do you believe you could convince their leader to come meet you to discuss the surrender of the people they're asking for? Do you think you could get him down here? Um, probably. If you could do that, then we can win this war. Hmm. Okay. So it sounds like the plan is to, to tell them that you are willing to give up everybody afflicted by the withering. So that way they will come down without fighting. And then we can launch a trap to try and kill them. Yeah. All. Yeah. yeah. The trap was definitely implied. <laughs> okay. Where do we set up this trap then? Is there a place in town where if we were to throw up an ice wall to hide a group of people to spring this trap, it could look like it's not. Uh, it could look like it's always been there, like it's been part of the area. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is a city that's built half under the snow. The difference yeah. between an ice wall and a snow wall is not that huge, especially considering that those conscription forces probably haven't been down here personally. Give me one second. So Vale then looks to Ilana and, and says, uh, Ilana, explain to us exactly how your ice wall ability works and how we can manipulate it to spring a trap on these people. And Ilana looks really nervous because she's not <laughs> used to being so important in a war and steps forward and begins to just kind of rattle. And she says, well... I can create a wall that's 60 feet long and 15 feet tall and one foot thick, and I can make it appear for 10 minutes and disappear at will, because it requires concentration. Disappearing at will, I think, is the important part there. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, how many people I could get behind that wall would depend on where the wall is located. Yeah, that is probably more the, the limiting factor here. The big places in town... There's like a, uh, a couple like central hub type places in between paths, which you've certainly walked through before. They're, they're maybe 30, 40 feet in diameter. They've got the sun orbs there in the center providing light, warmth. There's like a couple of those. Oh, there's the place where we did the trial, like the church type area with all the shrines. Yeah, that one's half indoors, half outdoors, well, half in a building, half in the snow. Um, so that one could also be used. Um, and it's a bit more of an official setting as opposed to just bargaining in the middle of the street. But it is also deeper into the city. Yeah, I um, it, it, kind of the descriptions of that veil would su suggest that the, the church type place would be the most strategic location. Because then anyone who tries to flee, we could get them on their way trying to get out of the city. The deeper into the city we force them to go, you know, the more strategic our positioning can be on their attempt to flee. Okay. Darvin, Aranis, what are your views on this plan here? Sounds like a pretty solid plan. I don't have anything better. Yeah, that's <laughs> kind of where I'm at. Like, whatever Vale's play is, I'm going to back it because I, like, I fought a lot of stuff. And I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that that thing out there terrifies me. So. All right, then. I think Thorne is okay with this plan. Yeah, and it's a it's an official enough place that maybe they would actually think that maybe they'd actually fall for it. I think they were actually giving them up. Uh, 
All right. So, um, so then do you all want to go and hide in there then? And I can get their leader down here. We'd like to try and get ourselves and as many of your men, your best men as we can in that position. Then strategically, it would make the most sense for you to place any other men along whatever exit or escape route they would try to take so we can pinch them in. Well, our numbers aren't limitless here. We do still need to protect the populace. Hmm. Who can I offer? If this fails, there will be no protecting the populace. You should throw all of your men into this and anyone else. You should be trying to secretly escape out through the box into Capris. There's, in fact, why have you not even started doing that? <laughs> she doesn't um, know about it, I don't think. For a very good reason. Yeah, she is unaware. What? No, no, no. She would be aware. Sorry. Absolutely, she's aware because Sakari is back and forth. Uh, like that's how she got here. That's why she was able to help them out. And the mayor and the earl would definitely know about it too. So yes, Commander Thorne would know about it. Sorry, you're right. That would not be a secret. It's probably a secret to some of the townsfolk, but not to her. Why have they not been doing it already? Uh, we didn't think it was that dire of a situation yet. We didn't want to startle the population. Oh, no, I've got the better answer why. We're worried if we get too far from Liana, her powers will no longer protect those of us afflicted by the withering. Could certainly send like the halflings away, though. That would be possible. But as far as like okay. the orcs and any of the elves go, uh, Liana is a limiting factor there. So then Vale's going to just very matter-of-factly say, then anyone who's afraid to die from the withering by being away from this god should be taking up arms and fighting to live through. If they're too much of a coward to run away, they should be fighting. All right, Vale, roll your uh, persuasion or intimidation again, whichever yeah. you want with advantage. Thank God for that advantage. That's a 19. Ooh, nice. nice. Commander Thorne says, Look, we can certainly... We can certainly tell those who aren't worried about the withering that they can go if they want to. We can encourage it. For those of us who are afflicted, though, not everyone is in fighting shape. There are children. There are the elderly. They're not all cowards. There's a big difference. But yes, those who are able to fight certainly will. We may not have the best weapons for everyone. But then again, you don't give a sword to someone who's never swung it before. Quite true. So how many people can we spare for this? We could leave those unable and otherwise unwilling to fight and unable to leave. We could get them locked up into the gardens and we can get the rest of the forces here in the tunnels and waiting in the church. Let's see. So this ice wall is 60 feet long, you said? And 15 feet high. And 15 feet high. Okay. I don't think the roof is going to be so much of an issue here. That room I don't think was 60 feet wide on the snowy end. It might maybe that long, but just trying to figure out how many people could actually fit behind this wall and have the room still look proper. <laughs> All right, well, if we're gonna if we're gonna have people in the tunnels ready to ambush should the need arise, I think the best I can give you would be three people to help set up this trap. How many people do you have? Either we're setting people in there for the trap or we're having people in the tunnels for an ambush, you know, okay. when the other forces come in. Um, how many trained troops do I have? You know, maybe a dozen. How many people do we have that are able to wield a weapon and contribute? Maybe twice that. But, you know, we need to have people in place in case they're not operating out of the best of faith. Don't we kind of have to assume that they're not 
That would be the only yeah, yeah, correct but... strategic choice. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, they're coming to fuck your shit up. Like, they're not. <laughs> they're going to cheat if they can. <laughs> Lowering the number of people guarding the civilians? Okay. Not having people planted in the tunnels, like on the lookout for other forces coming in? Not wise. And if you want good soldiers, if you want good troops, three's about the best I can do. If you just need more people who can swing a club, you can put a few more people in there. Strategically, it's better to have trained soldiers with us. Okay. Well, in that case, yeah, three. Let's see, who will they be? Just grabbing some of my orc names here. In that case, I can send Lieutenant Ferox with Trumpet and Abris to join you there in the church. We'll need a runner or someone to come and tell us when they're coming down so that we can set the wall in time. It only lasts for a set amount of time that he can explain. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's only a 10-minute window here. Um, that's not going to be a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Then let's do it. Okay. So, so we've got halflings being sent away through the box to go to Capris. We've got the three of you, so the four of you, heading to the church to go set up this trap. You're going to have a few orc troops joining you. And Commander Thorne going out to bargain with their leader to bring him down into these tunnels. <laughs> All right. So, the four of you head into the church to set up your trap. In short order, Lieutenant Ferox, Trumpet, and Abras join you. Lieutenant Ferox is a pretty muscular-looking orc guy. has a very heavy, spiked club with him. Not like a, just a lump of wood club, but like a very well-crafted one. It's like... It's carved. It's got some orcish runes in there. It has some very nice looking metal spikes on it. There's Trumpet, who's a little bit smaller than Lieutenant Ferox, but she's still pretty muscular, especially in the upper body. And she has this big great sword with her. And finally, there's Abris, who carries a pair of daggers with him. Long, curved looking daggers, about a foot and a half long each. He definitely looks the leanest of the group. He's a very agile guy. And coming down into the church and seeing you all there, Lieutenant Ferox looks at you and says, What's all this is about a trap now? This is very risky. I, I'm not questioning Commander Thorne's orders. I'm just worried about the others. Lieutenant, men are going to die today. That is a given fact. If we're lucky, more of them will die than we do. The only way you're going to be able to save your town is to take a stand. This trap is the best option that I could think of, and I am most likely the most practiced military strategist in this town right now. And while I have you and your companions here, there's something you need to know. Their leader, who is a celestial, will most likely be holding something like what my companion had as veiled gestures toward Darwin, hinting that he should show one of the vials slash necklaces. Mm. Mm. Smart. You still got your grim pendants around, Darwin? I do. I get one out and I hold it up to display it. This object will uh-huh. prevent him from dying. Your number one strategy is not to kill him, but to manage to either break off, rip off, or destroy that pendant. This is the only way we will be able to permanently remove him from the situation. So you're telling me that thing that your friend is holding would keep somebody from dying? No one in here is putting one of those on. <laughs> Why not? Darvin, why not? <sighs> because it's made... Never mind. No, I'm not going to say that. Um. <laughs> <clears throat> Quorum's lost. 
If you've Quorum's got a way law. to s- Quorum's law. Quorum's law. So you're okay with letting people die because of Quorum's law. Uh have you met me? <laughs> Clearly not. Clearly not. Uh even if they have, they have not had this philosophical debate with you yet. Well, if if the survival of others in this city no, no, if the you survival don't. of others in the city is what we're after, then having a leg up by, I don't know, not dying, sounds like that might be really nice. Having a leg up, huh? So, Darvin, Lieutenant Ferox looks at you with some amount of incredulity. It's like not understanding why these religious laws are more important than protecting people's lives. Making sure that people can get through this fight that's coming up. Because at the very least, uh, at the very least, y'all are going to try to fight Cregan, who's in charge of those conscription forces. And that's a scary guy. And from his perspective, using one of your grim pendants to make sure he lives through this seems, uh, seems like a no-brainer. Until so he looks at you and says, Darvin, if it means more of us can live through this fight, that I'm for it. I'm not too worried about what Corm's going to say right now. Hey, I don't have time to explain this. So is that a no? It is. <sighs> like, I know we don't have a whole lot of time right now, so I just want you to remember that you said that when people around here start dying. Uh, he like turns away in a huff and leans up against the snow wall. Is there anything else people would like to do before Commander Thorne returns with uh, members of the conscription here for this ambush? I just want to turn to Darvin and say, like, you made the right call, dude. Thanks. (laughs) Appreciate it. If there were, like, trust scores and rep scores with different groups in this game, it would have just been like, Lieutenant Ferox will remember that. Minus one. (laughs) Faction scores down. Lieutenant Ferox disapproves. Minus two with the guards. No. Damn it. I'm not like you guys were the most law-abiding guests here before anyways. I'm super (laughs) law-abiding. Bullshit. It's really easy to abide laws when you only recognize one. (laughs) I mean, they don't know that you broke the laws, but I mean, come on. Okay. Valor, Iolana. Is there anything that you need to do in preparation for this ambush? Vale's going to get the team ready and kind of, once it looks like the conversation has died down at this point, you have the four of us and two guards. Three. Three. Lieutenant Ferox, Trumpet, and Abrus. Cool. I'm going to look to Arnis and say, Arnis, we need you on the other side of the wall. You want me to talk to these bitches? <laughs> Is that what Arnis says? Yes. <laughs> Because they terrify me? Vale's going to say, all we need you to do, because you're an expert with words, is in this conversation, convey their numbers and their leader's location so that when the wall goes down, we're not blind. Meaning like the leader's in the middle or the left or the right or something like that. Like as we're looking at them and how many they are. Okay. (laughs) That's going to be super easy. Once you've given us all the information you think we need, all you need to say then is, let's start the negotiations, and we'll drop the wall and start the fight. Okay. 
I love being bait. Bait, bait, You're not bait, 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 I'm bait. Arnis, don't think of yourself as bait. Think bait. of yourself as the trigger on the crossbow. You are what's going to start this whole thing. And then get shot to death because I'm bait. <laughs> <laughs> you realize why it has to be you, right? Yeah, because I'm a public face and none of you idiots can talk to anybody. So, yeah, I got it. <sighs> it's good teamwork there, RNS. I'm going to do it. It's not like I'm not going to do it. I just, I'm scared and I'm lashing out in the only way I know how, which is through sarcasm. <laughs> Thank you, RNS. Yeah, I got you. Darvin. You are the fastest of us. As soon as the wall goes down, you're going to need to get on the other side of the leader to prevent him from getting out of here. Okay, gotcha. Yolana is going to support you by creating some sort of environmental hazard that will also keep him from getting to the other side of you. We're going to sandwich you in. Okay. The rest of us are going to focus all of our attacks on their leader with the thought that if he goes down fast, then his underlings will be... Lost for leadership and the morale will cause them to either retreat or at least lose their ability to fight as well or focus. So basically when the ice wall goes down, I get on the other side of the leader to keep him from going anywhere, right? Yeah, just get get between him and the, the exit. Got it. I like this plan. I like this plan. Let's see how Scott's going to fuck it up for us, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, <laughs> uh, y'all don't need me for that. <laughs> and yet you do it anyway. So, Yolana will look to the group and tell everyone to get their positions. Um, wait, strike that. Looks to the other three. Um, you've already described what they what they came in with, what they're wearing, what it looks like their abilities are. Have you done that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't describe what it looks like their abilities are. They are members of the guard here, so their abilities are pretty much combat focused. There's Lieutenant Ferox, who's got this really well detailed club. Lieutenant Ferox is obviously like the leader here between the three of them, which is why he's the one who's been speaking. But the other two have certainly taken their cues from him when it comes to not liking your attitudes, especially regarding the Grim Pendants. After Lieutenant Ferox, there's Trumpet. She's got the great sword. She is pretty muscular. She can definitely kick some ass when the need arises. But I guess that should also be taken into consideration that, you know, for a guard of a city under the snow. Gotcha. And then there's Abris, who's got the two long curved daggers. He's definitely looking like he's the, the quickest of the three. So I looked at Avaris. I said, you could get in fast with Darwin. Make sure whatever you need, do as much damage as you can as fast as you can you do. I look to I look to Trumpet and I say, just like your partner, hit get in as fast as you can, hit as hard as you can. Lieutenant, since you seem to have the most experience in the group. I want you to focus on the amulet, the necklace. Hit it hard as you can, if you can. If you can't, I look to the guy with the daggers. If he can't get it in the first few attacks, I want you to try and steal it from him. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Lieutenant Farrock says, don't worry, we'll do our jobs. But he's not being overly accommodating. Yeah. Since Starvin had to go and be all rude. Kid on this one, doing your job isn't going to be good enough. You're going to need to go above and beyond. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You get a couple hard stares from the guards. Uh, and Lieutenant Ferox just says, 
Don't worry about it. You do what you need to do. We'll do what we need to do. Just remember, if we don't fight as a team, we'll sure as hell die as one. So, you know, go team. (laughs) Ever the pep talker. (laughs) I probably won't die. Well, I mean, you get the idea. You guys could die as a team. Damn it, Darwin. Fine. (laughs) All right. Okay. I was definitely curious as to how you'd get information from the other side of the wall. So I'm glad to see that that's been taken into account already. So Ilana, remind us, how thick is this wall? I want to say it's five feet, but let me double check. It's a thick wall. Oh, no. It's only one. Okay. So right now we've got Vale, Ilana, Darvin, and three guards over on the snow side of the room, getting ready to put up this ice wall. And then further in the room is going to be just RNS. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry. Yet. Much like when you all were in here before for the trial, the other side of the room that will not be blocked off, the main side of the room, the semi-furnished side of the room that has some rows of backless benches, and they're all facing your side. There is like a little lectern, but you don't need to worry about that getting cut off by the wall. You don't need that much space back there. And then there's those set of double doors that lead in through the library. Iolana, how long does it take to cast your ice wall? It's an action. Ah, very fast. Okay. And since it lasts for 10 minutes, we don't need to worry too much about it falling on its own unless Arnis gets into some deep conversation here (laughs) with uh, the other people who are about to come in. (laughs) Which, hey, if Arnis wants to vamp for 10 minutes, that's on Arnis. I'm pretty sure that that won't be necessary or possible. Okay. Am I still required to make my, my speech? No, my, um, no. my go get him speech. Only if you really want to. <clears throat> well, I'll do a little speech. It won't be a good speech or a long speech. But we'll speechy it up a little. Mm-hmm. Well, folks, I'd love to uh, love to sugarcoat this for you and tell you that this army coming in are a bunch of pansies, and we got this, and this is going to be super easy. But uh, that would be a lie, and you all know it. This is going to be hard. It's going to take 100% effort every minute from everybody, whatever that looks like. So have each other's back and uh, fight like hell because this is your town. And if we all don't protect it, nobody will. Iolana, I believe that's your cue. (laughs) What if Darwin wants to make a speech too? (laughs) And I'll just basically say like, good hunting. Give him a like two finger salute Uh and just... (laughs) <laughs> like we're out of here all right before we hand this off to Ilana, arnis let's roll some persuasion oh uh, you know you're speechifying here oh 26 hmm well despite darvin's rudeness what with his you know moral quandaries and everything or uh uh, religious um res- reservation his religious reservations yes there we go the guards here definitely understand the gravity of the situation and they appreciate that you're taking it a little bit more seriously as well. Ilana. Yes. Unless there's anything anybody else needs to do, we need an ice wall here. As Arnis steps back, Ilana takes about a half a step in front of the group, sights up where the wall is going to go. And you watch, she points out 
palms open to the points of where the ends of the line would be, putting ourselves at kind of the top point of a triangle, if you will. An acute triangle, to be super nerdy. Oh my God. And her arms kind of like cover in frost, and then it just flows from her. And from those two points, the wall forms towards itself. Nice. Very quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, if it's an action, yeah, it is very quickly. And everybody sees this ice wall form, effectively cutting the room into two spaces. One nice, small, snug, hidden space behind the ice. The other, the open courthouse slash church. I I really should be calling it a church. It gets used for that way more than it gets used for a courthouse. And Aranis, you find yourself alone on this side of the ice. And it's less than a minute later when Aranis you can hear footsteps approaching. There's definitely an array of footsteps. There's the more normal, steady pace. There's the sound of one person walking with a cane, at least. Just hear the sound of a footstep, then the sound of a cane. Sound of a footstep, sound of a cane. And there's a set of very, very heavy footsteps following as well. And moments later... Commander Thorne opens up the double doors here into the church. And in the doorway, you see Commander Thorne. You see Earl Moore, who is, as we discovered before, is short one leg, thanks in part to the withering and the attempts to halt its progress. His wavy hair has a couple streaks of gray in it now. His face is still fairly round, but he does bear a few scars here and there which at one point used to be bone, but have receded back into flesh thanks to Liana. And of course, you see Cregan, the celestial who's in charge of this whole conscription escapade. He is very tall. He stands head and shoulders above everybody else here in the room. His wings curve upwards. Uh, At least they would if they were open all the way. He's had to tuck them back a little bit thanks to being inside here in the tunnels. This place isn't exactly meant for creatures as large as he, but he can squeeze himself through. He'll definitely have a little bit more room here in the church, but this isn't like high vaulted ceilings, so it's not like he's going to be flying around in here. Like most celestials you've seen, he wears like a, a tunic, like a robe. His is all black with like a red sash around it. And he has like a couple of bracers on, like metal ones, uh, just on either forearm. They're semi-protective, but it's not a, it's not anything that's really going to hinder him or hinder his access to his fabric, which is good for him because, as we may remember, celestials tend to make their weapons out of the clothes that they're wearing. Kind of need access to that. Uh, and with him are three of his soldiers. This is definitely not the entirety of their force. Since Commander Thorne said that they were here to negotiate, no need to bring everybody down into the same space. But you see three with him. Directly in front of him is someone shorter, about halfling size. They're wearing plate armor that has been decorated with what looks like chunks of people who succumb to the withering. So there's like some bone fingers. There's like a couple bone hands attached to the front of the breastplate. And the front of the helmet is covered with what looks to be someone's face that they had removed after shattering them and placed on the front of their helmet. 
She's actually taken off the helmet at this point. I think I don't think she's wearing it down here. Uh, she's just carrying it with her under her arm. But she, do, 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 aside from this nice heavy armor, she also has a great sword with her strapped to her back. And then accompanying her and Cregan are a pair of humans. These guys are also in some fairly significant armor. They're each carrying in a polearm type weapon. One of their polearms has like a nice big axe head at the end of it. The other one's a little bit smaller, a little bit more sword-like. It's good to reach on them though. Uh, neither of those guys are wearing helmets. But all four of these members of the conscription are still looking very confident having come down here into Honey Hollow to carry out Corum's law. And as they enter, a little bit more slowly, they're kind of traveling at Earl Moore's pace. Cregan the Celestial. He's addressing Thorn and Moore at the same time, it seems. And he just says, I'm so glad you agreed to just surrender to the will of Corum. It would make things much easier. We would hate to have to destroy your wonderful little city here. A little too closed in for my taste, but it has a nice feel to it. It'd be a shame to lose the city, and of course, it'd be a shame if anything were to happen to your halfling population here, as we're to understand that they're not afflicted by this condition. But, uh... Can I be a real horrible person for one second and ask a question that I cannot remember the answer to? Yeah. Has Darwin yet to pray to Corum and find out if these guys are legitimately doing his will or not. Oh yeah, we have the answer to that. The answer is no. Okay. I just want to make sure I understood that clearly. Right? I'm right about that, right? <laughs> got that answer. Um, uh, I like how you said that with such confidence and then immediately questioned it. Well, I mean, because right? he was asking, like, <laughs> he wasn't asking me, <laughs> but I was pretty sure... Darvin, do you remember? Has no idea. I don't. I was actually operating under the inception that Darvin is sort of making his own inferences here, as he is fairly often want to do, right? Well, I mean, we know that on principle, like theoretically, they're carrying out Corum's will, right? Like as players, we know that because he's told Vale to smash stuff to smash statues and he's right. told Darwin to do so too. So like on principle, yes. Yeah. But they're totally. taking living people. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Based on what we know about Corum, that's not outside of his purview of something to ask them to do, right? Like he asked Darwin to bring peace to all of the grung. Right. And Darwin is definitely shirking that, right? <laughs> There's there's no question there, right? Okay. I didn't mean to derail us. I just wanted to clarify that. No, that's fine. That's fine. The last thing I remember of Corum and Darwin's conversation on this topic, pretty sure it was when you were in the Realm of the Dead, I believe Corum had asked you to send any of the afflicted his way, and you had actually asked, like, anyone, anyone? And he's like, well, you know, once they're too far gone, just give them that mercy. Okay. That's very helpful. So then the answer is, yeah, we are doing the right thing 100%. Now, to play uh, Corm's advocate here, <laughs> he's not the devil. I shouldn't, I shouldn't align him there. I shouldn't no, uh, make those, like, draw those conclusions. Osiris? He's, he's way more Hades than he is yeah, the devil. Hades. There we go. I don't remember which one it is. Uh, it's Anubis, I think, in Egyptian. Oh, is it? But yes, like, what does too far along actually mean? You know... Religious scholars will debate. <laughs> I mean, 
until we go and get that more information right now as a DMO, I can say is like, Hey, you know, rules are open for interpretation by, uh, everybody, PCs and NPCs alike. Cool. But no, I don't think Darwin has straight up asked, Hey, you know, all these conscription people who are going around doing this stuff. Yes or no. <laughs> I don't think that conversations happened. Right. Because last time you spoke with him was before you even knew about the conscription. But but Darwin does feel pretty confident that he's right about that. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a that's not him doing what he does. He's he, he's pretty sure he's right about that. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can I tell them what they see when they walk into um, the room? Can I? Oh, are you done? Can I finish You're not their done. intro? No, yes, I was not can. done yet. Finish, finish their intro. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's it. Cregan was done addressing those immediate concerns. When he stops after entering into the room, Earl Moore continues up along to one of the benches at the front, but Cregan stops and sees Arnas standing there. And he says, who's this? Okay, so here's what they see. I'm not actually standing in the middle of the room. All those benches that are like facing the direction of the wall, I've taken mm-hmm. a seat on one of them. Okay. And I've just got my loot out and I'm just like playing and humming a little tune. Like I'm just chilling in here waiting for whatever to be over. Gosh. And do I hear him audibly when he asks who's this? Oh yes, he addresses the room. He's not like whispering under his breath like who's this fucker? He's just like who's this? Okay. When he does that I go, I, "Oh, oh, I'm I'm sorry." I didn't realize that there were going to be other people in here. And I sort of like scramble, kind of stand up and like come to the middle of the room. Like, oh, I, hello. Commander Thorne knows what you're here about. I think it's pretty safe to say she would have clued Earl Moore in on this as well. Would we be expecting Earl Moore to be there? That's my question. Like, would we have expected him to arrive with this party? There's no reason not to. It's certainly something that Commander Thorne could have said before she left. Okay. I just wanted to know whether I needed to let the people behind the wall know that Earl Moore was here in addition to the other people. If you're negotiating a surrender, it he would usually makes sense for the head of the city to be there. Yeah, that's fine. Which I should correct myself. Morosco, or not. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Morosco. Morosco. Yeah. Yeah, she's the mayor. Whereas Earl Moore is like the, the royal attache to the city. He's like assigned to the city. Right. So, yes, Morosco would be there as well. Because she is also here to negotiate terms of surrender. At least that's the uh, ploy. Earl Moore will say, Oh, well, this is a place of worship, and we often have citizens and guests of our city come in here for moments of peace and respite. Hmm. All right. Uh, I'm, Which is I'm, true. I'm, I, I'm really sorry. I didn't know that anybody was going to be using this room for anything. And I get like this puzzled look on my face and my head kind of tilts to the side and mm-hmm. I just go, oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. I'm going to like, I'm going to go really quickly, but before I leave, can I just, oh my, you all like this group of you, you just reminded me of the most hilarious joke. Okay. So a celestial, a halfling and a couple of humans walk into a bar. <laughs> no, stop me if you've heard this one seriously. And the two humans, they ask the bartender. They ask the bartender, do you have any ale? And the bartender's like, where the fuck do you think you are? Like, the royal house? 
of course we have ale here. And they were like, they're like, sweet, I want some ale. And uh, the halfling looks at the bartender and goes, well, okay, but do you have any mead? And the bartender like says, where the fuck do you think you are? The royal house? Of course we have mead here. <laughs> and he's like, okay then. And so takes their mead and goes away. And then the celestial looks at the bartender and goes, do you have any do you have any like celestial goodness and the bartender goes you know what buddy that's it let's begin the negotiations wait (laughs) 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 (sighs) and with that we'll bring this chapter to a close but the story will always continue Thanks again to all of our Patreon patrons for your support. If you'd like to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash podcast and pick out a level that's right for you. Before we go, I'd like to give special thanks to everyone at the $5 and up tiers. At the $5 city council level, thank you, Shannon DeMello. At the $10 mayor level, thank you, Christopher DeMello. At the $15 governor level, thank you, Phoenix Bryan and Sierra Jones. Thank you for listening to this chapter in Seasons of Skyrend. If you like what you heard, please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find us. If you want to chat, we're on Twitter at Skyrend Podcast. You can join our Discord server, or you can email us at skyrendpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us online at skyrendpodcast.com. As always, we want to thank Vanessa Blockland for our podcast art. You can find more of her work on Twitter at Art by Vanessa B. And thanks to Daryl Dibber Reckonos for creating our theme music. You can find more of his music at DibberMusic.com and on Twitter at DibberMusic. Dibber spelled D-I-B-U-R. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time on Seasons of Skyrim.